0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on Tour. We are live from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Eli Sussman, host of The Line, and if you're just joining us, I've been here for a couple days broadcasting live, talking to some amazing chefs and restaurant tours, and sitting right next to me is Ming Pu. What's up? Uh, You are in town from Louisville. You've been doing some events down here. You're repping 502 Bar and Bistro. Yes, sir. And right before we just went live, you let me know that actually you're leaving in a couple weeks. Yeah. So and uh, you've got a new project coming out. So I guess we'll start with the biggest news, which is that Night Moves is your new project. Yes, sir. Tell me a little bit about it. What is it gonna be like?
1: When is it gonna open? Timeline? So originally, you know, I was working on a Taiwanese uh, concept, but Uh, We had a actual like a window and a bar that opened up a space so um, we decided to go with you know Night Moves instead of Night Market because there's a night market in LA already right so Night Moves the reason why we picked that name was because it's a it's inside a 70s bar so you know you're making Night Moves right so we're going to be doing an Asian street food concept inside there kind of clash with North American bar food so
0: so is it going to be a restaurant with table service or will it be more like a bar with snacks coming from like an order at the counter? What's the vibe going to yeah. be like?
1: so it'll be a quick service uh quick service counter service uh, spot inside of a bar so so but we're gonna try to do you know food that is you know very unique to, to than just normal bar food right Will you
0: open up during the day or is it just going to be at night do all the bars in operation
1: so we're we're gonna try to do you know early early and also late night so like You know, maybe 4 p.m. till 2 a.m. That way, people that don't really drink can come have snacks, you know, at 4 or 5 o'clock after work, right? So, so. And so
0: before we really dig into the food that you're going to be serving there, it's important to note that you're born in Taiwan. Yes, sir. You then Uh, moved to Vancouver, B.C. when you were pretty young.
1: Yeah, seven years old, yeah.
0: And you ended up in Louisville. Why? By a weird twist (laughs) of fate, you ended up in Louisville for sort of a random reason, I feel like.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, my brother graduated high school, you know, while we were in Canada, and he got a full ride to Iowa, or U of L. And my parents were like, you know what? Let's let's just move to Kentucky. Let's move there since he got a full ride. That way, you know, we can go as a family and just kind of develop there. Because Vancouver at the time was very very expensive. So. What I'm wondering
0: is that Vancouver is having a well-known, large, thriving Asian population. Yeah, I don't definitely. know much about Louisville. Yeah. Was there a community built in for you when you arrived in Louisville? Was that, you were young, right? Yeah, but like, was really that a young. jarring experience for you to go from Vancouver Also, going from Canada to the United States, there's some differences there. So, talk a little bit about what that transition was when you moved to Louisville.
1: So, it was definitely very rough because, you know, in Vancouver, there was a lot of Cantonese, a lot of Chinese population. So, you know, it was easier to relate because of the food, right, in Vancouver. But when we moved to Louisville, there was only, in 99, there was only like two sushi restaurants, there was only a few Chinese restaurants, you know. So, it was definitely a culture shock, you know at the time I've never had pimento cheese or shrimp and grits none of that stuff before I was like yeah. what the hell is going on you know but now I love that that style of food so. and so
0: as a young kid your household you, you know both your parents had come over from taiwan right and yeah. you're kind of growing up you're growing up as an, as an american as a exactly. young kid who's maybe looking to perhaps distance yourself a little bit from Maybe Taiwanese culture and like form your own identity. Um, exactly. Can you talk a little bit about like what it's like to grow up as a first generation American and also
1: in the South? So it's very interesting. So like you know, going back to like middle school when I grew up in you know Louisville, Kentucky, like um, you know I would bring my mom would make me lunch and I'd bring it to school and. It, Kids at school would be like, what the hell are you eating? You know, like I'd have bubble tea. No one knew what bubble tea was, you know? Yeah. So um, it was very hard to, to make that transition during that time, right? So, you know, trying to, you know, like when I became a cook and a chef, I steered away from Taiwanese cuisine for a long time because I wanted to learn Southern and New American, right? Um, but then now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, I can go back to my roots, right? So... And so when you
0: are in high school and you're starting to figure out about yourself and getting more sure of what your passions are, did you gravitate towards food at a pretty young age? Was there something in high school and or college that you thought, I'm definitely going to
1: do this, and something kind of changed your course of direction? Um, So actually, I I really wanted to get in food when I was a kid already, you know, because when we lived in Taiwan, uh, my mom cooked five days a week. You know and we'd go to these compounds like markets and you'd go to a certain vendor to buy fresh fish fresh vegetables you know um and i'd help her prep so i always enjoyed cooking as a kid but my dad didn't want me to to be a chef my dad was like you're gonna be an accountant you're gonna be a pharmacist whatever right so um so i had the passion at a young age but You know, I went a different different direction right after high school, not culinary, you know. There is that
0: pressure often with, like, first generation to just, like, I've made a lot of sacrifices. And (laughs) therefore, you must go a traditional route, which is go to school, get a degree and... Now, go into a, a professional field. Exactly. Of course, now being a chef and working in food has uh, obtained a certain level of, uh, of status within our exactly. society as, like, oh, this is a real job. And people kind of revere chefs as being both creative and business people at the same time. Yeah. So, did you go to culinary school or did you go to a, uh, a trade school or a university? How, how did you kind of
1: get into the food world? So, I started out. Uh, when, I, when I graduated high school, I started out working at a pizza place, washing dishes and making pizzas. And then I was going to college for accounting. <laughs> so I went to school for a year uh, for accounting and dropped out. I was like, screw this. I hate it. You Parents know? were
0: not happy about that. Yeah, they, sure. they hated
1: it. You know, So I was like, I got to do something. So I started going to culinary school in Louisville called Sullivan University. Um, and then from there, I, I worked my way up at a hotel Uh, and then moved on to a pan-Asian fusion restaurant. So So the hotel that you worked at was in Louisville, Yeah, And so
0: what a lot of people don't know about working in hotels relative to just a standalone brick-and-mortar restaurant is that it, it is quite different, right? It, it there's, there's a lot of pieces that involve a hotel restaurant that uh, there can be room service, there can be stipulations on your hours of operation. Right. Uh, oftentimes there's weddings and buyouts and things like that, right? Yeah. So um, did you get to see a lot of those things? Was it a was it a big hotel? Was it a boutique hotel? Um, and what was your entry point like into working
1: in that fast paced environment? Uh, sure. So it was the, the hotel was called the Brown Hotel it was a pretty big operation um, in Louisville, Kentucky. One of the, one of the oldest hotels, actually, and um, that's where the hot brown came from, too. Oh, cool! Uh, yeah, um, but it was it was uh, really eye opening because you're open 365 days a week. We're doing banquets for, you know, 500 here, 400 here at the same time. Yeah, and it was you know coming from a pizza restaurant going to working at a Triple f- A Four Diamond hotel was a like crazy experience because you know I, you know i learned a lot of skills when it came to high volume and quality you know so how do you, how did you
0: make that decision to move on to your next job so you know a lot of people that listen to the show are yeah. young line cooks like a sous chef who's maybe about to get promoted to cdc yeah. and it is really difficult to make that decision to for say sure. i've either either learned enough from this job or i'm hungry for something new obviously yeah. you're making a change in 2 weeks by yeah. by leaving your current position so When you're at that hotel and you're kind of soaking up all that information, what were you looking for next and how did you find it in Louisville?
1: So, um, while I was at the hotel, the main main goal was to learn how a hotel like banquet and restaurant operates, right? So, and to see how they operate, function 24 hours a day. And, you know, during that time when I thought I was ready to move on, the next point was, where do I want to work, you know? And there was a chef, a Malaysian chef in Louisville. uh, He's my mentor, Chef Peng Louis. He owned Asia Teak Restaurant. I really wanted to work for him because I did research on a lot of the main chefs in the city. So uh, that was one that captivated, you know, my eyes. So while I was at the hotel, I wanted to go work at Asia Teak. So I got an internship under Chef Louis while I was still working at Brown. And then finally they hired me on after uh, being an intern for three months with, you know, no pain. (laughs) so um but yeah and, and that's you know, I feel like for young chefs, young cooks that are up and coming, they should find find what they want to do right find find a menu or a restaurant they like, and you know try to try to get their foot in the door, whether they have to wash dishes or whatever from from the start, right, so
0: I'm wondering how you found your own voice creatively as a chef because born in Taiwan, yeah, moved to Vancouver, yeah. then moved to louisville, yeah there're could be a a thought process where you're like, I'm just going to abandon all that and maybe just cook American <laughs> food. Like, yeah. just dig in deep to what, can, you know, Kentucky Southern food could be. For sure. Or maybe mash them together and do whatever you, you yeah. might want to do in, at your next restaurant, Night Moves. But yeah. um, how did you find that creative voice? And are you still, do you feel like you're still honing it or do you feel like you've kind of zeroed in on what that is?
1: Uh, so, you know, it it took, you know, 12 years of, you know, finding myself as far as a, a cook and a chef, you know, to figure it out. So I started out, you know, learning French cuisine, right? Learning New American. And then I went moved on to Asian fusion and then I got tired of that. I was like, all right, I'm sick of this. And I went back to Southern and like, you know, New American. And from there I was like, okay, I know this food now. I know like what the South is about, you know, you know the, the basics of it. And now, you know, for me, I'm like, all right, I, I want to go back to my roots because when I go back to my roots and I cook the food that I love, it shows through the food. So now what I do is I take Kentucky ingredients, southern ingredients, I mash it with um, Taiwanese cuisine, you know, to kind of make it. Because there's a lot of rel- uh, relativity between Taiwanese ingredients and southern ingredients. How so? You know, so like. What are some examples? You know, you look at rice, you know, you look at. All the pork, all the chicken that's in this, you know, that's used in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taiwanese cuisine has a bunch of pork, a bunch of chicken, you know, in their dishes. And then you look at, there's a Southern dish, crab rice, right? In Taiwan, there's a Dungeness crab fried rice. And, you know, so like there's a lot of relativity. And then uh, Hopin John, you know, I've done a variation where it's like a fried rice, but I do a crab Hopin John with black vinegar, superior broth. So it's like a mashup of Taiwanese. Taiwanese flavors with the southern dish, right? The I
0: love that, how there's things that you oh. can, either they do exist or you can yeah. find a narrative to kind of weave them together to tell a yeah, story. Like for sure. if there's, you know, a couple ingredients that mirror each other and maybe yeah. you're adding a sauce to kind of put your spin on it. For so sure. for people that are listening that just are not really familiar with the food of Taiwan, yeah. you talk about that flavor profile a little bit deeper. For sure. Some of the... Um, The spices that you use and if there's sort of like a a couple staple dishes that you're going to put on the menu that really speak to your love
1: of that cuisine. Well, sure. So, so, you know, Taiwan as a country hasn't been um, history wise, it's not very old. Right. So it's the last 100 years. um, It's the Fujian province of China. China. A lot of the people immigrated to, to Taiwan during the revolution, civil war in China. So so the influence is very heavy from China. The flavors are you know, very bold, like spice wise. We use a lot of star anise, cinnamon, you know, coriander, cloves. Uh, and then herb-wise, you know, cilantro is in everything. Thai basil is in everything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then some of my favorite dishes, like Lu Rou Fan, which is the dish I made for Charleston for the wine. It's a braised pork belly um, uh, stew over rice. And usually they put uh, crispy shallots, uh, fresh cilantro, fresh scallions. Um, it's a stewed dish that's stewed for like six hours. Um, the pork belly is usually diced, like small dice, and there's shiitake mushrooms, demerara sugar, um, five-spice, you know, I like to use like the whole five-spice, you know, not the powder, you know. Um, yeah, so it's super umami, super rich and comforting, you know, that's one of the main dishes. And a uh, second dish that I love that's considered a national dish is uh, Taiwanese beef noodle soup, and it's uh, usually beef shank that's, you know, made in, for, like braised for like four or five hours and the broth is, has like jang, which is like chili bean paste and um, all kinds of stuff you know so it's delicious so. What's cool
0: about looking at restaurants and trends kind of like on a national level is if you yeah. go back a decade and you think about pizza really having this explosion yeah, and then maybe like high-end sushi the last five, seven years, something like that. Yeah. Now, especially in New York, what you're seeing is actually like a lot of Taiwanese yeah. food is really getting its time to shine, Yeah. Um, which coincides really wonderfully with yeah. you working on your own project. Um, for
1: sure.
0: It's great that it's a fortuitous moment for you. Do you yeah. feel like you're kind of coming in at the right time? But it is weird because obviously this is the food that you've always loved and that you've exactly. always been cooking. Um, does Louisville have any other restaurants right now that are going to be doing Anything similar to what you're doing? Or are you gonna be like kind of the new game in town?
1: Uh, I think uh, I'll definitely be one of the first ones doing Taiwanese cuisine. Uh, there, there's been a few that that's open, but you know they've they've c- come and go because I don't think Louisville was ready for that just yet. But I think with the voice I have in Louisville right now, it'll be easier to educate people on on what what Taiwanese cuisine is. You know, because if if the people trust the chef, they'll eat the food, right? But if they don't know what the hell's going on, you know, they're probably not going to try it. So, you know, we're we're incorporating all these Taiwanese dishes like easily, and it's not we're not going to put like whole fish like what head on, you know, <laughs> we're not doing that. I mean, I would come
0: eat that if I was do. down there. I think some people would, but yeah. Um, yeah, that might be a tougher sell. Yeah, uh, I'm wondering about leadership. Yeah. And growth in that capacity. Of yeah. course, we could talk about food the entire time, sure. but as a small business owner myself yeah. with a very small restaurant, yeah. you're about to go and do your own thing. For sure. Um, leadership and, and making your employees happy, for sure. Keeping them around yeah. is something critical that the industry is really talking about yeah. right now. So yeah. I'm curious. Um, how do you think of yourself as a, as a leader, and what are you always trying to do in that realm to uh, to get better Yeah, uh, on that side of the, of the culinary world as well?
1: I think, you know, for me, the past four years running a restaurant is, you know, being the leader of the kitchen. Um, I try to take care of my employees and see what their needs are, you know, and make sure they come first, right? And, of course, customers come first, but uh, employees also. You know, all my cooks, you know, I, I take care of them very well as far as pay, and and Scheduling, and you know, we try to create a non-toxic environment to where, you know, you know when crap hits the fan, sometimes th- there's yelling involved, right? But but when it comes down to it, there's no hard feelings, and you know, we, I feel like you just gotta be sensitive to what how people feel, you know, because you know it's not like back in the '90s where a chef can throw pots and pans anymore. It's not like that, you know. It's, no, that's, that's it, so toxic. That you does know? not fly. It shouldn't have fly yeah. back no, then. And it like, shouldn't. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. And and. and even furthermore, just kind of making it so that when your cooks come into work, yeah. not only do they do they want to be there, but they want to kind of grow with the restaurant, For right? Sure. So yeah. as you have moved into the sort of final leg of opening up your own place and you're yeah. really getting close right now, yeah. um, what are some of the things that like you've learned from other places that you've worked that you've put into effect at your new spot, whether it's something as small as, like, a standard best practices yeah. box in the kitchen or recipes? Like, let's go really deep inside baseball here. Like, yeah. what's something that you're doing at your restaurant that is exciting to you that isn't, like, a dish that's on the menu?
1: Uh, I think as far as, you know, giving my – like, one, one main thing, giving all my employees two weeks paid vacation after after a year. You know, a lot of places for, you know, line cooks, they don't give any – Pay time off. Right. So it's that's very rare. Yeah. 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 So I think that's one of the main things I will keep doing, you know, and if I can, maybe each the longer they work for me, the more PTO they get. Mm -hmm. That way there's, you know, some self-care going on, you know, that way you have some time away from, you know, all the craziness. Right. So, Huh. You, you referenced night markets yeah. a little bit ago,
0: and yeah. for for people listening that aren't familiar with yeah. what that is and like how big of a part of the culture it plays, like yeah. you're going to be doing some things with your menu that are sure. that are plays on that, like yeah. s- small snacks and street yeah. side stuff. Yeah. Um, can you talk about a couple night market type items that you're going to be putting on your menu?
1: For sure. So we have a, a fun one So um, it's a it's like a rice roll, and they usually stuff it with like pork floss and you know, like some pickled vegetables. And so we're doing like a, it looks like a sushi roll, but it's not. And we're, you know, we're putting a fried egg pork floss. We're going to put like a furikake on the outside and some pickled vegetables on the inside. You know, it's a handheld, it's easy to eat. And then we're also doing, you know, like a twist on, you know, fried chicken sandwich. We're doing Taiwanese fried chicken sliders, you know, um, as a sandwich. So it's handheld, you know, because usually in Taiwan, they're just bits and pieces of nuggets, which are delicious, but um, but if it's just handheld, one-handed, you could eat it easily, right? You don't have to hold a uh, vessel, you know, so those right. are the two main things that, that would be easy to eat. So.
0: Obviously, an important part of any uh, business is, like, it's got to be profitable, for right? Sure. It's got to make sure. money. At the end of the yeah. day, you and I can conceptualize dishes and have right. a great time and and cook to our heart's content, yeah. but like you need bodies in the seats, right? For so sure. you're opening up a business. Um, did you have to go out and fundraise? Um, did you take on new partners? Uh, that can be like a really scary thing. So yeah. how did you kind of go out on your own and, and achieve what really every young cook is yeah. probably looking to do, which is open sure. their own spot?
1: So we got we got really lucky. Um, you know, one the landlord that owns the bar, uh, he, he's an old friend that also, he owned, he owned the building that, uh, ran Asia Teak, so uh, I knew him for years, and he, you know, reached out to me about this opening, and he was like, "Look, rent's basically free for five, six months, and then, and then it's like under a grant, you know." So I was like, "Wow, like that's crazy, you yeah. know." And I've been looking for a spot for a long time, and uh, we have two partners, but you know, these two business partners, we've been wanting to go into a business together already, so, so. You know, we didn't really have to fundraise much. We, you know, we're coming out of pocket. You know, so it's a low, low liability. You know, entrance. You know, so so it's not bad. That's great. It sounds uh, like you found a little workaround. Yeah. For most people have
0: to do, which exactly. is go out and raise a couple hundred yeah. G's to to get their project done. For sure. So uh, the restaurant is the restaurant bar is going to be called Night Moves.
1: Yeah. So it's it's a it's going to be a a window inside of a bar called High Horse, but the the um, window is going to be called Night Moves. So.
0: And first day open. Do you have a set date, target date to get open?
1: So we're looking at middle of May. Is uh, so we're coming up. Yeah, we're pretty close. Um,
0: In the meantime, is there an Instagram or a website where they can follow along and follow along with you, and also make sure that they learn more information about the opening?
1: Yeah. So uh, the Instagram tag is at Night Moves L O U Lou, and uh, my my Instagram tag is at Ming H P U, and yeah, you can find me and find uh, what's going on with uh, that project on those Instagram tags. So Awesome. Chef,
0: thank you so much for yeah. swinging by the Heritage Radio Network Lounge at Charleston. We yeah. appreciate you sharing your story yeah. and giving us a little background on your new project. For sure. Thank Obviously, you. we mm-hmm. wish you a ton of luck and a ton of success down in Louisville. For those of you listening, if you are living in Louisville or traveling down there, go see chef at his new spot mid-may when it opens up uh of course we'll be back in a couple minutes with tons more content here from charleston food and wine stick with us here heritage radio network live we'll be right back this program is powered by simplecast